Welcome back everybody to Good Orderly Direction, Practical Tools of the Bible. Today we're discussing Genesis 25, Esau Gives Jacob His Birthright. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. So you remember Isaac and Rebecca um, had gotten married and Rebecca got pregnant with twins, Esau and Jacob. And these twins fought even in the womb. Rebecca consulted God about this. She's like, what's going on? And God said to her, two nations are now in your body. Two tribes are now inside you and will be separated. One nation will be stronger than the other. And the older son will serve the younger one. Now, this is revolutionary for this time because at this point, the firstborn always got the blessing of the father, always got the inheritance. And the firstborn was always thought to be the leader. And God is saying, that's not how it's going to be this time. Actually, your younger one is going to be the one to get the blessing. Even though that's not what culture determines right now, that's how it's going to be. And so that had to be a little bit confusing for uh, Rebecca at this point. And, and I want you to think about how two people from the same place, you know, we had two twins from the same womb, but two people from the same family or from the same city or the same culture can be very, very different individuals. And it's important to recognize that. There's a need for a, all kinds of different skills and all kinds of different people to make the world go round, so to speak. And uh, sometimes that happens even from the same family. And sometimes no matter how good the parenting, children will rebel. And it's, that's an important thing to recognize here and in many of the stories we see very good god-fearing parents and one or more of their children makes really really poor choices uh, despite their best efforts to encourage them to make the right choices so it's important for us to recognize that just like adam and eve made very poor choices in the garden of eden when god gave them the ability to choose um, and we have to assume that God is the best parent ever. Uh, this can happen with our human children too. It doesn't mean we quit loving them. We may not like their behaviors, but we do need to recognize that it can happen. So anyway, they were born. Esau, the older one, became a hunter, which was a very traditional occupation then. Jacob, the younger one, was a quiet man who stayed at home. This was not nearly as traditional. Sometimes what we expect just doesn't come to pass. And, and like I said, at this point in the culture, it was expected that the firstborn, which was Esau, would become the leader. However, God already said that wasn't going to happen. He takes on a traditional role as an adolescent. So it looks like, well, maybe he actually is going to um, get that birthright. He is Isaac's favorite, so maybe he is going to get that birthright. But there's also that little nagging voice in the back of our head where God said, that's actually not how it's going to play out. Jacob and Rebekah loved Esau, even though he was a rebellious youth. 
the older son will now serve the younger one may reflect on how cultures change over time. Esau held the traditional roles, whereas Jacob broke from them, preferring to stay home and being with his mother. In what ways might Jacob's more nurturing qualities foreshadow a change in the culture that we see in the New Testament with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, but he was, for the majority of the New Testament, he wasn't engaged in that occupation. He was caretaking. He was spreading the good news. He was um, a, a kind, compassionate person. Isaac loved Esau because he was an outdoorsman, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah saw themselves reflected in their favorite children. So think about how you might do that in, in, in life with other people. How are the people that you favor very similar to you? You see yourself reflected in them and you're like, oh, hey, I like you. You know, we have a lot in common. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with appreciating people who have similarities. But it's also important to appreciate and be curious about people who are different from us. As I, as I mentioned, it takes a lot of different skills and tools to make the world go round. Um, and this could be foreshadowing to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, where Paul talks about how we're all part of one body. Everybody can't be an eye, everybody can't be a hand, everybody can't be a heart, but it takes eyes, hands, hearts, skin, everything to make a body. In order to make a functioning organism, everybody has a role and oftentimes very few people have the same role. You have two hands, we don't have eight. We have two hands, we have two feet. And, and so it's important to recognize the benefit that people who are different can provide, whether it's different in their skills or even different on their perceptions and their outlook. It may help you get a more balanced version of you know, what might be going on. One day Esau came in from the fields and was famished. Jacob convinced Esau to sell him his birthright in order to get food. Jacob had made some lentil stew and Esau was just like, fine, I want food, I want it now. Jacob, unfortunately, coveted the birthright above all things, even though he was the younger of the twins. And coveting means envying or prizing above all things. He wasn't being respectful to his brother by allowing him to have some of the lentil stew. He said, what are you going to give me for it? And recognizing that this was flat manipulation. You know, there's nothing wrong with a um, open exchange, you know, buying and selling goods and everything. But in this particular instance, Jacob bargained for something that really had no, uh, really couldn't be sold, but he got it anyway. He got the agreement from his brother. What things do you envy or prize? What would you do to get those things even if you didn't deserve them? Would you lie, cheat, manipulate? And, you know, think back to when you were in school. Were, were there ever times that you were tempted to cheat on a test because you really needed to get a good grade in that class? 
how would you have felt about yourself ultimately if somebody like your mother or your grandmother or your pastor would have found out that you cheated you know sometimes we can set do things that are against our values and justify them to ourselves and we're like I feel fine about it you know I did what I needed to do but then if you step back and you say is that really true what if somebody you really cared about found out how would you feel and if you would feel bad or ashamed then that tells you you probably did something that was you know against your values how do you feel about others that get things through dishonest means again go back to that class most of us have been through school and there have been people in the class who have cheated and have thrown the curve um, how do you feel about them because they are achieving their goals by dishonest means and how does that impact everybody else that's not very compassionate to think to yourself well I can do this bad thing and I don't care what happens to anybody else Esau on the other hand was more concerned about immediate gratification with something intangible like the inheritance uh, down the road it was like well I may live to see it I may not and right now I want food I'm hungry so fine you can have it I don't really even care that much about it think about when you've done this when have you eaten another helping accepted another job or even entered a relationship because it provided immediate rewards even though with reflection if you st stepped back and evaluated it you can see it's probably not the wisest choice to help you move toward the life you want so think about how this exchange of the birthright between the two sons might impact the family how might that impact uh, Isaac how is he going to feel when he's not able to give his favorite son his birthright how does impulsivity make you vulnerable to being taken advantage of and how can you prevent it you know a lot of us when we're experiencing distress we don't like feeling distress so we may be impulsive in trying to figure out how to stop it this is where distress tolerance skills can be really helpful because when when you're in distress you're in that fight or flight mode which means that you're kind of in an adrenaline haze and you're not going to make prudent decisions so it's important to be mindful use your distress tolerance skills and use prudence be patient until you can get into your wise mind and make an objective decision how can you avoid getting situ in situations in which you are overly famished or thirsty and tempted to take the first source of comfort that comes along throughout the Bible they use the terms hunger and thirst not only for physical sensations but also for spiritual sensations when people are craving something uh, comfort love food they become famished and they have this need that has to be filled and when you're when you get to that point you're not just hungry you're famished you're not just you know thirsty you are parched 
a lot of times you may be more tempted to take the first thing that comes along. Jacob had a scarcity mentality. He looked around and said, well, if I don't get the birthright, then I am not going to be able to live the kind of life that I want. And that's unacceptable. An abundance mentality, on the other hand, says, okay, I may not get the birthright, but I do have a lot of abilities and I can create a rich and meaningful life even without it. Esau had no distress tolerance. He just wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. Think about how good orderly direction, especially the concepts of prudence, earnestness, respect, truthfulness, and compassion can help you make better choices. In many of my videos on the uh, other YouTube channel, youtube.com slash docsnipes, I talk about beta testing. And beta testing is a way to address impulsivity. First thing is to breathe. Use your distress tolerance skills to slow your breathing, slow your heart rate, and get into your wise mind. You've got to get out of that fight or flee adrenaline haze. E stands for evaluate the situation in, the, in this context. What exactly is going on? What are the facts? Not what do I assume to be going on, but what facts do I have? T stands for think about your options and the consequences of each of those. So you could do A, B, or C, and what are the consequences? And then choose the best option and act tentatively. Most of the time, anything we do can be undone to a certain extent. Jacob could have decided to give the birthright back to Esau say, and said, you know what, this is not right. You're supposed to have the birthright. You can have it, you know, my bad. But he did not. And anything that we do, most of the time we can walk, walk it back to some extent. In this story, unlike the last story where we saw a lot of directions about, hey, these are things that you can do to live a godly, loving life, this one is more about all the things that you don't want to do. Esau was not prudent about food. He was not patient to go in and wait for his mother to make him something. He just wanted something that was already made. Jacob was not prudent about his inheritance. Now, he was obviously not supposed to get it, but prudence is patience and wisdom. He did not use his wisdom to reflect on what might be the consequences if I take the inheritance, if I get it from Esau. Respect. Esau has no respect for his birthright, and ultimately he's not being very respectful to his father by saying everything that you've worked your whole life for, screw it, I don't care about it, I'll trade it for a bowl of lentil soup. Well, okay then. And Jacob was not showing respect for his brother by manipulating him when he was already hungry and vulnerable. Uh, and he was also not showing respect for his family. Again, not considering how will this impact not only me, but my brother and my, my parents. You know, maybe my brother will have regrets later. Maybe my parents will be very angry and it will cause discord, which we see is what happens. And compassion and selflessness. Jacob and Esau 
do not have any compassion or selflessness for the impact of their behavior on their parents. They, they just, they don't care. They're doing, they're making a transaction and not considering the importance of it. And we'll see in a couple of, uh, in a couple of Bible studies when it comes to pass that it's time for Isaac to give one of his sons his birthright, we will see that a lot of discord actually arises from this seemingly benign or offhanded transaction.